0: We're going to hear from God's word. And the first Bible reading is 1 Timothy 6, um, 6 to 19. It's on page 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever, amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant Our next reading is Matthew 6, 25 to 34. It's on page nine. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good afternoon. It's lovely to see you. Welcome. My name's Rowan. I'm the assistant minister here at the Garrison Church. It's wonderful to be able to open uh, this part of Scripture with you this afternoon. And don't know about you, but it's with COVID been wearying, and don't know how you're feeling. Uh, God promises to do us good through His Word, so I pray that this afternoon might be. Um, nourishing for you, a comfort to you, admits the challenges as well that it presents for us. Uh, But as we commence, I just thought two. I have the delight of announcing three from three uh, in terms of our growing church family. On Friday, Ella Pamela Joy Small was born at 6.10, uh, which is very exciting news to Tim and Katie Small, uh, they're very thankful, albeit exhausted. So why don't we give them a little welcome by the live stream. I think that's it for a while, though. We'll see. <laughs> um, have, a, have that passage open. As we begin, we, we'll see today, I don't know if you picked up as we went through the reading, three, three times we're commanded in today's reading Not to worry. Jesus addresses something today that I think we all feel frequently. I certainly do Uh, worry. Worry, or in other translations, anxiety. Uh, Many are its causes, many its symptoms. Paralyzing can at times be its effects on our lives. Uh, Worries plague us, sometimes they're informed from the past. Uh, they're certainly felt in the present, but often they're, they're consumed by the what-ifs of the future. And worry is, is driven, if we were to very simply reduce it, you can't reduce it, nor is his definition exhaustive, and we'll go on to define it a little bit more a little later on in this context. But it's driven by the simple insight that we are limited creatures. And that particular fact Uh, expresses that we have boundaries. There's things beyond us we can't control, uh, particularly the future. And in not being able to control that, we worry. We worry about what the future will bring. We worry about how we can secure it or how we can uh, seek to manage it somewhat. And so worry is a very natural response to being limited creatures. A very natural response to our place in the world. But Jesus here commands us three times not to worry. Um, Is this realistic? Well, let's, um, as we explore it, see what Jesus has us to consider today. See, worry is very natural. Unknown possibilities can easily oppress us. The what-ifs can overwhelm us. But I think Jesus today offers us a way forward, a way of being in seeing the world, as he's presented to us in the Sermon on the Mount, which can offer us comfort in the midst of lives where we are limited and we don't know the future. In verse 25, he says this, Therefore I tell you not to worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. And this beautiful phrase, he says, Life not more than these Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? I hope to see today that Jesus speaks to our worries in profound, simple but very profound ways. In this discussion, he limits it to our temporal needs of of food, of drink and clothing, basic provisions. But it's interesting because if we were to, to reduce some of our worries down, we'd probably find the root of most worries in those things because they're things about. The future and the nature of our lives these these things worry us basic provisions are whether we're rich or we are poor and, and jesus is offering us a way of being and seeing the world differently he calls us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness that's what we're looking at today and so just a bit of context with with the sermon uh, as Craig really helpfully unpacked for us last week, we were told not to, to store up, in verse 19, treasures on earth, but rather to seek treasures in heaven. And Craig helpfully pointed out that, that we shouldn't let other things capture our hearts. Rather, we should let God be the thing and his kingdom that is the ultimate thing in our lives, that catches our, our hearts. And, and Craig helpfully... Uh, said Jesus is like a wisdom teacher as he speaks to us, drawing on the natural world, drawing on experience. And, and he continues in that way today in this passage. It's like Jesus is a new Solomon from the Old Testament, the great wisdom teacher. See, in Proverbs, Solomon lays out two paths, the path of wisdom, lady wisdom, and the path of lady, lady folly. And in a similar way, just as the teacher there pleased with the Son to choose wisdom, to pursue her, our uh, Jesus, in, in a similar way, is calling us to pursue the way of wisdom, the way of the kingdom. See, Jesus said last week that we can't serve two masters. We have to choose which way we're going to go. We can't serve treasures on earth, the temporal things, make them the, the ultimate thing, rather. We need to put God and his kingdom as a thing that truly captures, captures our hearts. And so Jesus, today, he expands on this, but he does so by making it personal. And he calls us, like, like a wisdom teacher, to observe the world, to, to look up, to look at the birds, to, to see the wildflowers. Because they're going to teach us something about God and ourselves and his care for us. So like Solomon presenting to his son two ways, Jesus here is offering us the wise way of the kingdom and calling us to follow him, to be and see the world the way he does. But it's important to mention even as we start, as, as a common theme has been throughout this series, the way to, to see the world as Jesus does, the way of the kingdom will seem as madness. To our world. It's a, it's a great paradox, it's upside down kind of thinking. And so we must consider it before we choose it. We must see the world this way before we seek the kingdom. And so Jesus helps us to consider his way. Firstly, he says, Don't worry, verse 25, about your life, what you will eat, drink, your body. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothes? See, Jesus knows that we have material needs. But in light of that, he still says that we need not worry about these things in verse 25, 31 and 34. See, worry, what we've seen at its simplest is is an over-concern with temporal things in this context. Uh, The word worry here... And, and, and translated anxiety in other translations, picks up themes of of, of, being distract, of a distracted mind or a double-mindedness. And so in a Sermon of the Mount, to be worried is to be over-concerned with something other than the kingdom. To be worried is to be over-concerned with something other than the kingdom. And the kingdom here is, is a shorthand expression for living as, as God's people under his under his rule. And here to worry is to be overconcerned about something else other than that. But as we, as we kind of read through this and, and think about what that means, uh, and we consider the examples that Jesus will bring for us, it's probably important to state here what worry is not, because, because Jesus is not offering here an exhaustive um, definition and, and treatment of... of worry and anxiety, uh, but he's speaking to particular needs of, of being concerned, over-concerned with things other than the kingdom. So worry here is not the same as, as concern. We are to think and plan and anticipate pitfalls. We see that in the scriptures. So there's a subtle difference between being concerned about something and, and over-concerned that he's drawing a distinction between. And the solution to worry that he'll offer us is not to be Carefree and, and laid back about the things of our world. So, the answer to over concern is not under concern. And finally, it's, it's not, as we, as we read through this, um, the avoidance of, of work and, and its fruits. over Overwork may reveal that we are over concerned about the things of our world, but not automatically so. And I think those points are just helpful to have in mind as we consider what worry is, what it isn't, and, and what it is. Because when Jesus commands us not to be worried or be overconcerned, what he's saying is not to make life all about these things. Because when these things become ultimate things for us, they ultimately become toxic. And so, Let's consider with Jesus particularly uh, the way in which we should be and and see the world. He tells us not to worry. That's the what of his command. And then in the next two illustrations, he tells us why that is the case. And he begins by helping us to, to see the world a different way. And he gets us to look and observe the world. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. The word here, we're here "look," uh, as we read it, it says, "Look at the birds of the air." But it's it's a very um, emphatic word. It's it's literally watch, look at the birds. Uh, so we're not to look casually, but to where observe carefully. And so, as as we see this, Jesus commands us to to look at, at the birds. Now, this is more than a biblical warrant to bird watch, but it's it's wonderfully not less than that. But Jesus wants us to to look at the birds. Why? So that we see the world differently. Birds live daily uh, and are sustained not through worry about where their provision will come from, how they will sow or reap, but rather they live freely, knowing that their provision will be made for them. Why? We're told because the Heavenly Father feeds them. So as you observe birds, I was writing this at home and I looked out the window and all I saw were pigeons, ibis and crows. I think it doesn't work for those birds so much. But if you look out the left, as you walk out the door, you'll see often on observatory hill Um, swallows dancing through the air. And in one sense, Jesus is calling us to look at them because do they look worried about the provision of the future? Are they sitting there thinking through the what-ifs? And Jesus is making a lesser to greater argument because he's saying, your Heavenly Father provides for them. He feeds them. And then he continues with these beautiful words, are you not much more valuable than they? Are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus' point is that God takes care of them. How much, how much more is his fatherly provision showing care for us? He's calling us to, 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 be, to be wise, the wise way to see and be in this world, a fathered world where we know that our Heavenly Father cares for us and will provide for us. So that's a way of wisdom. But he also paints us a picture in this example of what foolishness is, and that's in verse 27. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? What he's is saying is, is, worrying can't improve our, our situations. But Jesus says we need not worry. Why? Because God will take care of us And then he gives us a second example, and he calls us to consider the flowers. And he's speaking to our clothing, but he's speaking to more than that. It's our sustenance and provision. In verse 28, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. Wildflowers make the magnificence magnificence of, of Solomon look like rags. The most simple flower that emerges in the most random of places. It's beautiful. God clothes them in such a way with far more splendor than that of royalty. And again, Jesus is making that lesser to greater argument. He says in verse 30, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, it's thrown into the fire, how much, sorry, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And again, he's saying if, if God, if it pleases God to make and to care for and to clothe inanimate flowers in such a way, will he not much more care for you and provide for you? Martin Luther, on this passage in the 1500s, wrote this. It seems that the flowers stand there and make us blush and become our teachers. Thank you, flowers, you who are to be devoured by the cows. God has exalted you very highly that you become our masters and teachers. Jesus is calling us to to see, observe the natural world, to see the flowers... that lesser and greater argument, because how much more will he provide and care for us? That is the way of wisdom. But again, he paints for us the way of folly. In verse 31, he says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He's drawing a comparison. And pagans here is just someone who lives without God as their ultimate end, their ultimate reference point. And Jesus is making the contrast that we are not to, to seek after these things, to concern ourselves with these things, for ultimately that is the way of folly. Jesus says life is more than these things. Because if we over concern ourselves with them, we're overestimating their significance. Worry is an attempt to find our ultimate hope, comfort, and meaning in something that ultimately is temporal and fleeting, that will be burned up or wither and be destroyed. So Jesus calls us to, to look and to see. It's very simple, but it's very profound. Because if we have eyes to see, we see that we live in a fathered world. Rather than turning in on ourselves in worry, Jesus is calling on us to look up and to look out. It's not a cold world out there, but it's a world which speaks of his father's care for us. And if we see it in these small creatures, how much more for his image bearers. Now, it's easy to to kind of sit there as we hear this and think, look, isn't this sweet? It's nice, isn't it? But isn't it a bit naive? Aren't we living in in the real world? It's not going to pay the bills necessarily. Is Jesus like the flower child calling us to leave the rat race and go chase butterflies? And, And we might object that we live in the real world, so we need to think about this with a dose of reality. And that objection is true. But in one sense, it's beside the point because the real world is the fathered world that we live in. And Jesus says our father knows what we need to live and will provide richly for us. He's calling us to open our eyes to be and see the world, the way of the kingdom. So Jesus has told us what to do. Three occasions in this passage not to worry. He's told us why we don't need to because God knows and and cares for us but I don't know about you but you're left with the question Well, how do we actually do this in the midst of of life and the pressures and worries and anxieties as they dawn on us each day. That's what he goes on to address in the next verses. See, in this broader section that Craig looked at last week and and we're looking at this week, Jesus has told us that we can't serve two masters. When we are over-concerned with with temporal things, we're marching to the beat of, of our world's drum. But Jesus has said we're called into a different kingdom, a different world. And he calls us to march to the beat of this drum. And he does that in verse 33, where he says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness... And all these things will be given to you as well. Now, kingdom and righteousness here are not two separate things, I don't think. I think it's calling us to pursue one and the same thing. And the kingdom of God, as it's presented in the New Testament, is seeking to live as God's people under his rule. But as you remember, as we've been looking at it, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a, um, a, a call to... Um, a lesser life and taking away from fullness and wholeness, but rather it's it's an invitation into life and love that bring true wholeness and flourishing. It's a picture that's been presented to us starting in the Beatitudes. So the call to seek the kingdom, no doubt is a call to self-denial, no doubt is to see the world in a way that is completely upside down, but it's the way in which Jesus tells us will bring wholeness and flourishing. It's a new way to be in and to see the world. It's the hungering and thirsting thirsting after righteousness that we saw in the Beatitudes. But what does it mean to to seek first? Well, in this context, it means to have a a singular focus, to make it the final or, or chief end that determines all else. And seek first here is also a present imperative, which means that there's, there's a continual nature to it. There's a continual quest for God's kingdom and, and his righteousness. So the call here to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness is a call that's meant to envelope our whole lives. It's to reshape what we deem as good, true and beautiful. It's to dictate our decisions. It's to reorient our dreams. It's to reorder our desires It's to transform our our behaviour and it's to be the thing on our lips, this message of the kingdom that we herald to others. And just in case we're worried that we won't be provided for, Jesus then says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and it's attached to a promise and all these things will be given to you as well. C.S. Lewis, in an essay, once wrote that if we put first things first, we get second things thrown in. But if we put second things first, we lose both first things and second things. We never get, say, even the sensual pleasure of food at its best when we are being greedy. When we put the kingdom first, The promise attached is that all these things will be given to us as well. Our needs will be provided for. But if we over-concern ourselves with second things, temporal things, we lose both the first thing and the second thing ultimately. This is a new way for us to be and see the world. And so a question for us as we draw to a close is... What are we seeking first? For the thing that we are overly concerned with ultimately will shape our lives, our decisions and and our character. Jesus calls us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. It's a call to focus our whole lives around Jesus and his coming reign. Now as you think about a whole life nature, I don't know about you, but that's, That's an overwhelming demand. But remember that it's actually an invitation. It's an invitation into life and freedom. It's an invitation to be freed from over-concern in these temporal things, to turn ourselves out and to seek God and not to seek these things. It was striking on Friday as I was typing this. There was a funeral up at St. Philip's and in the Anglican liturgy for a funeral service, at the end of the service, the church bell is rung. It's called a funeral tolling uh, for every year of the deceased person's life. And it's just a slow, constant, single tolling of the bell. And it's quite a, a sobering thing to hear. In one sense, what Jesus is trying to give us is this perspective that Life is is more than these things. Freeing us from being over-concerned with temporal things, giving us eyes to see things differently. In Isaiah 40, which Jesus picks up on in the language in this passage, it says this, All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Jesus drawing on this imagery and in this larger section is saying all that we have ultimately, and Craig pointed this out last week, is fleeting. But a breath doesn't mean it's bad, it's just the nature of it. Even our very lives. All that we accrue will wither and fall as the flowers of the field, as the grass of the field. And Jesus says, is life not more than this? So Jesus tells us not to over-concern ourselves with these things. Why? Because our Heavenly Father cares for us. So don't place your hopes and your dreams in them. Don't be over-concerned about them. But look and see. Watch. Watch the birds. In creation, see your Father's care and provision. And how much more does he care for you? Are you not more important than these? And how do we do this? Well, we seek. We seek his kingdom and righteousness. Dedicated to to Christ's coming return and the desire to live the life that he calls us to, of the kingdom, living differently. Well, verse 34 is the final verse in this section, and it can seem a bit like an afterthought or an add-on. But actually, it's a fitting conclusion. It says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, this can seem pessimistic. Charlie Brown of Peanuts says, I developed a new philosophy. I only dread one day at a time quite apt, really. But I don't think it is pessimistic as much as it is realistic. I think it's easy for us to, to, to think of what one author described as the, the then syndrome. That things will be trouble-free then or when I get this or that. Now, I don't know about you, but COVID 19 has has left many of us wishing 2020 away. Um, We're looking for 2021 for relief. But I think what this passage helps us to do, and particularly this final verse, is to not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will have its own troubles of itself. Rather, we are to live faithfully today and to go to our Father who cares for us with the concerns that we worry. So let's not over-concern ourselves with the worries of tomorrow. See, Jesus wants us to be whole life followers of him, hearts and lives, not double-minded, not divided by serving two masters, not seeking treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. That's where true life and peace and freedom is found. See, as we've seen, worry can plague us. Worries from the past, in the present, or or the what-ifs of the future. But the wonderful news of the Gospel is that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. United to Jesus by His Spirit, we are adopted into God's family. We call His Father our Father. That means He cares for us. He's for us. That's a great comfort that we can take from This passage, we can confidently know that the Father is for us. We don't know the future. We are limited, but He is not. He does know the future. And we're told that He cares and that He promises to provide. So let us trust ourselves to Him afresh, to learn to live within our limits and to depend on Him, the limitless one. But as we close, we we must recognise that this, this is hard because Jesus' wisdom, as we've seen, is a paradoxical wisdom. It doesn't come naturally to us. One author writes, "'In this kingdom we can only be guaranteed sufficient goods "'if we renounce hoarding and greed. "'In this kingdom we know we can have food and clothing "'if we seek something else than food and clothing.'" In this kingdom, we cling to a master who was despised and rejected and ultimately crucified. In this kingdom, we can only find life first if we lose our own. That is the wisdom of the kingdom, the wisdom of Jesus, the greater Solomon. Jesus, our crucified king, died so that we might die to living for ourselves and live our lives fully and wholly in him. And that seeking him requires a daily dying to self, repenting of trying to manage our worlds, repenting of of being over-concerned with temporal things, repenting for for seeking our kingdom and not his. But principally, it's an invitation. An invitation into the good life. Might not be the glittering life, but life is more than these things. It's not the glittering life, but it is the good life. It is good, real, true, and beautiful. And so Jesus is bringing us back to the right priorities. He's asking us, what are you living for? And he's calling us to reorient our lives around the living God and his priorities. May God grant us his spirit for the eyes to see and the strength to seek his kingdom this week. Amen. We're going to respond with a song, but let me pray for us. Father, these are simple words to understand as we read them, but hard words to fathom the full depths of as they're revealed to us through the teaching of Jesus. We pray that by your Spirit, You would grant us eyes to see your fatherly care for us and your provision, even in the midst of when things are hard and difficult and the future uncertain. And would you give us the strength to seek you and your kingdom in the midst of it, making your priorities our priorities, knowing that that is an invitation to true life and flourishing, in Jesus' name, amen.